Hey guys, just a reminder, my online course is Birth Story Academy and you can enroll in it at birthstory.com. It's taught by me. You can be in your jammies. It's online. It's pre-recorded and it has a ton of freebies and downloads. It's everything that you need to prepare for your hospital birth. So hope to see you in Birth Story Academy. How are you doing? I'm really excited for today's episode with Sarah Latney, and we're going to cover this amazing, beautiful birth story. But trigger warning, Sarah and I were a just, we were a disaster pit, or the last 10, 15 minutes of the episode, we're just bawling our faces off. Sarah wrote in because she had a cord prolapse. Now there's three different types of cord prolapses and she had a type of prolapse that was pretty dangerous. So we're going to cover in this episode some really hard topics, but really some beautiful things and I think some lessons that are really necessary. So trigger warning right now, we are going to touch on assault and being a survivor of sexual assault And maybe thinking that you have processed some of your stuff before birth, but then like what could happen during birth if you have a history of sexual assault. And you may have listened to Juanita Chase's episodes where I covered this topic as well and having a trauma-informed birth team. So we talk about that. Then we talk about how that changed the course of her birth preferences And then we talk about this cord prolapse, and it is an operating room cesarean emergency delivery. So I just want to make sure I disclose it up front. If that does not feel like something you want to listen to, there's like 200 episodes. Go find a different one. But if you can handle it, there is a, it's a very emotional, like, I mean, I like, like I'm saying, we, we lost our bananas crying, but Um, there's a lot to learn about cord prolapses. There's a lot to learn about trauma-informed birth. There's a lot to learn about spontaneous labor, being GBS positive, having spontaneous rupture of the membranes. This episode's jam-packed, so I hope that you will listen, but if it is not safe for you to listen, do not listen, okay? Thank you, Sarah, for recording this with me and being a teacher for me to learn as well. All right, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, 
you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey, Sarah Latney. Welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you? Good. How are you, Heidi? I'm great. I just told the audience in the intro what we were going to be discussing today. And um, I it's weird to say like I'm excited to cover mm-hmm. cord prolapse on the podcast because I'm sure like excited was not the feeling that you felt when this all went down. I say excited because... It's such empowering education because there's a lot of fear around cord Mm -hmm. prolapses and they're very rare. And so thank you for writing in and wanting to share your story with my audience. Thank you for having me. Yes, I really appreciate it. Sarah, let's start with tell everyone and me, because we're just getting to know each other right now, a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do, where, where you live, all those things. Okay. I'm 37. I live in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia with my fiance, Isaac, and our son, Teddy. I'm a board certified behavior analyst, but not practicing. I'm right now just staying home with Teddy. What is a behavior analyst? Um, Well, I was working in the public school system with sort of the general education population and also special education population just to try to minimize undesired behaviors and maximize desired behaviors. I feel like the job that you just described is very much being a voice for the voiceless. And Mm. so you for what you Mm. do. Well, let's dig into your pregnancy and your birth story. So tell me a little bit, was this a fertility journey or a spontaneous pregnancy? Spontaneous pregnancy, we were uh, taken by surprise. Um, We hadn't really decided um, whether or not we were going to have kids yet. Um, Isaac is 10 years older than I am. We've just gotten engaged. um, And I'm pretty sure right before that happened was when the baby was conceived. And, um, And I found out about three weeks later, I was three days late for my period. And it's kind of rare for me. Um, took a test and I really thought, I was like, oh no, I'm going to go on a dog walk. I'll come back and it'll be negative when I try again. Um, (laughs) yeah, that's called denial. (laughs) There's such thing as a false negative. I don't think there's such thing as a false positive. (laughs) No, I did not know that, but know that now. (laughs) I'm not sure how I felt initially. I think it was just like, how? And, um, and then I did. I did tell Isaac um, uh, pretty much right away later that evening, and um, he was so shocked. It was a response that I didn't expect. You know, I, I expected some a little a glimmer of like happiness, <laughs> yeah. um, but I think he was just—it was just too much shock. I think if I'm honest, I was excited and wanted to um, to go ahead with everything, but I I wanted to make sure we were both on the same page. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I, I mean, listen, anytime that we have a spontaneous surprise pregnancy, no matter what our life circumstances or what age or what relationship status, it's like, whoosh, in a minute, your yeah. whole, your whole life is just changed. It's yeah. It's like, okay, especially for a first child. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's, it's. 
it's unbelievable. My my spouse and I had a very long fertility journey. Well, I mean, it was a very long. For me, yeah. it felt very long. It was 10 yeah. months, okay? And because I was 36 and I knew I wanted more than one child and I'd had this fertility journey, we just never used protection. And five months later, I found out I was pregnant again. And you said it was the morning and you didn't tell Isaac till that night. That was the same for me. I found out in the morning and I was terrified to tell my husband. <laughs> I was ter- I was like, oh my God, I don't know if this is like, it was real. it felt really good for me, but I was like, Oh my God, we have a five month old. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) I was like, I'm not sure how this is going to go. So this video is me walking up the stairs and my sister's like video because I had already told her and my, my five month old is wearing a t-shirt that says big brother. Oh my God. (laughs) Listen, my husband at the time we walk in and he's like, you, you can see the shock. He's like, I don't understand. He's trying to process (laughs) He's trying to process the shirt and he's not understanding and he's like, and his brain's in denial, you know, it was oh. hilarious. So anyway, I can very much relate to that. Moment. Yeah. A lot of people listening can too. that like, whoa, my whole life just changed and I'm not sure what to do with this information. And sometimes you just need to sit with it all day by yourself or all I- week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I had taken a little bit even longer to, um, kind of feel how I felt about it. Well, eventually you guys both got on the same page, right? Yes. Like, yes. we're having a baby. We're super excited. Yes. Let's and, do I mean, this. We are loving this. Yeah. So. Oh, it's so yeah. hard, but it is so wonderful. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about this because it's spontaneous. It wasn't planned. Did you have a midwife or an OBGYN? Did you know anything about pregnancy and birth? Like, where did you start? Um, so we did just go, uh, to a, I was, I can't remember the name, uh, what, what you even call this kind of thing, but it was like a a place where you can go, um, get your pregnancy confirmed and it's free. We did that just to make sure I made an appointment with the closest OBGYN that also had, um, midwifery care. And I specified that I wanted to see, uh, or go the midwife track. Um, but for whatever reason I was put with an MD first. Okay. Um, and we had an ultrasound there and it was actually very distressing because, um, the MD was, you know, you're 35 and, you know, advanced maternal age and blah, blah, blah. And then also, um, he suspected that there was some extra nuchal fluid, um, and, um, which I think was Isaac's biggest fear and biggest um, fear being a genetic anomaly. Yes, they're just, just, it just something wrong or something happening. I could see that he was just terrified. He referred us to a neonatal, neonatal um, specialist. Um, and we did have to wait a few weeks before we could be seen, which was, which was hard, just kind of fretting and not knowing. And, and everything ended up, ended up fine. The neonatal specialist was um, wonderful. Um, he spent a long time looking at the ultrasound, um, you know, after the tech had already done one. And um, he did go ahead and ask us if we wanted to know the sex. And I couldn't deal with any more surprises. So uh, we elected to, to learn that he was male. 
he was just a, an amazing comforting presence. And I actually asked him if he would deliver our baby, but he had stopped delivering. So uh, we, I went back to the, the same practice. Thank you for sharing about this because when we go looking for things, we find things. And mm-hmm. so often, I mean, it is very common. Most of my doula clients, something comes up, something on the brain, something with the heart, something on the kidney, something on the liver, mm-hmm. some kind of fluid. And then we relook two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks. And it these things seem to resolve. And sometimes they don't. Some of you listening are going to have a genetic anomaly, um, are going to have some fetal anomaly physically and um and and don't get good news okay a couple mm-hmm. weeks later but the majority of everyone that gets sees something okay over the the course of pregnancy chances are it's going to resolve or have been nothing at all to begin with mm-hmm. um and if it is something there's lots of support groups too. So mm-hmm. I just want to give some reassurance that like we often find something at some point when we go look at Yeah. It. Yeah, and it it was pretty tense in that waiting yeah time um definitely yeah. gone could have not used that sp- <laughs> that extra stress. But. Yeah. Now did you have any um nausea, cramping, vomiting? Like how are you feeling? Like physically? I I was ravenous initially and had headaches. Um, and then uh, eventually started getting heartburn first, but it, the heartburn caused some vomiting. Um, and then um, I had like incontinence pretty much right away too. So uh, this was embarrassing, but I would have to, if I threw up, I would have to sit on the toilet um, because it would make me pee. Um, so that, that started right away. And then eventually I started taking Prilosec for the heartburn because it was pretty phenomenal, but I would say, um, not, I mean, not that bad. I, I really liked being pregnant. Don't be embarrassed by that. (laughs) It's like very normal for our pelvic floor to weaken and there's lots of fixes for it. Did you seek pelvic floor therapy at any point in your pregnancy for the incontinence? Yeah. So I, um, kept seeing the MD and I didn't particularly want to, they, they kept scheduling me with this particular MD and I requested to be referred for pelvic floor, um, PT. And he just said it, he just laughed it off and said it was my anatomy and there was nothing I could do. Don't worry about it. And after that, I, um, started to, I just decided I wanted to transfer care. Um, Good for and, you. It is never yeah. normal. So it's <laughs> never normal. While it's common mm-hmm. to be have sh- what we call stress incontinence, peeing or leakage when we vomit, when we cough, when we have any stress, going for a jog, run, doing sit-ups, ab work, anything like that. That's called stress incontinence. It is common. It is mm-hmm. not normal. And so seeing pelvic floor therapy or a urologist is definitely recommended in pregnancy, even if your provider writes you off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did get to see a midwife there. Um, it was my very last appointment before I switched over and she referred me right away, of course. So, of course. Um, <laughs> um, and it was very, it was very helpful. Yeah, Sarah, good for you. The thing I preach mm-hmm. all the time on my Instagram and on my podcast is like, look around 
Yeah. Pay attention. If you don't have the right team, then I can't guarantee what type of experience you're going to have. But yeah. like, we don't want to look back and be like, oh, I was in control of choosing my provider the whole time. I knew I was getting treated like trash and I didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Like, so bravo. Like Thank you. <laughs> you recognize like, hey, I'm not in the right place. This is not the way I want to be feeling. And you switch. Yes. Yes. That is like queen status, Sarah. <laughs> so you switched over to this other practice. I did. Um, and I think it was about 25 weeks when I established care with the other practice um, and um, immediately started seeing uh, mid, you know, all the midwives. Um, yeah. And was there intention to deliver at a hospital? Yes. we. So before, when I was thinking of switching, we did look at, um, I, I thought about a home birth, but Isaac was not comfortable with that. Um, I, we toured a birth center and, um, and it was like within minutes from the hospital, you could see the hospital, but something about it didn't feel right. Um, I'm, I I can't put my finger on it. Um, but we decided not. Yeah. Yeah. So we decided not to do that. And then the place where I transferred, um, their policy is to deliver in the hospital. Um, and also they had birthing tubs at this hospital and I really wanted to labor in water. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was another deciding factor. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you, now we are, we're in pelvic floor therapy. You're being proactive with Prilosec, um, which is a proton pump inhibitor. It's different. People typically start like with over the counter, um, heartburn medicine, which are H2 blockers like Pepsid. Prilosec is a proton pump inhibitor. So is like Nexium. Those, I think there's a lot of brands out there, but those are more powerful so start with Pepsid. If that doesn't work for you guys, talk to your provider about going on a PPI, which is what Prilosec is. There's even stronger ones, like Nexium is even stronger than Prilosec. So it could, you can go up from there. But you are doing all the right things. You're being so proactive. You get to the right midwife. Now, how are you preparing for birth? Um, let's see. We eventually do a childbirth class through the the practice. I read, I listened to podcasts. I listened to your podcast a lot. I read Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. I watched maybe a few birth vlogs on YouTube, but I honestly had trouble handling them. They made me cry, like uncontrollably. So um, I, I only watched a few. In fear, in joy, and like, what do you think was behind those tears? I think joy, but a little bit of fear. Yeah. So many hormones. Were you planning, like, I really want to have a medicated birth and get my epidural as quickly as possible, or I want to see what my body can do, or I want to have an unmedicated birth? Did you have a plan in mind? I think initially we talked about, like, um, considering an epidural. I, um, I think my knee jerk was all natural. And then Isaac was like, you know, you don't have to suffer needlessly. An epidural is okay. It's there. It's a tool. It's, um, you know, there for a reason. And so I was like, okay, well maybe. And then when I really started to write out my birth plan, I decided I I just really wanted to see what my body could do. 
go as low intervention as possible. I was also taking these online class through Aero Pump or the breastfeeding company. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I took several of those and they were very much Aero Flow. Aeroflow, thank you. I can't, mm-hmm. <laughs> my yeah, brain. <it's> okay. <laughs> they were very much um, recommending low, as low intervention as possible to help with um, eventual breastfeeding. So I really wanted to breastfeed and um, I didn't want anything to mess with that. So that kind of like solidified that yeah. um, desire to go as natural as possible. Yeah. It is, um, you know, as a birth doula, I like walk this fine line, right? Because Every single person has a different plan and there's Mm -hmm. no right plan and there's no wrong plan. Every plan is different. And then you can have the best plan and the best preferences and then a twist, you know, Mm -hmm. we never know what that twist could be. So I think flexibility is really important. Have preferences, vision, manifest, put it in this world, take the classes and then we'll Mm -hmm. be flexible. I have no idea what your birth plan, your birth story looks like after that birth plan. Um, So the next question I'm going to ask you is what gestation were you when you went into spontaneous labor and how did you know you were in labor? Um, I was 40 weeks. I was, it was his due date. Oh, wow. Um, Less than 5% go into labor on their, like we call it a guest date, but on their due date or their guest date. <laughs> um, and I knew that was going to happen. Like when they told me the due date, I, I knew he was going to be a due date baby. Um, I just had a feeling. Um, turns out he was one day after, but. Um, That's normal. Labor's 24 hours on average. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I guess I should go back a little bit. Be, I was um, diagnosed with hypothyroidism, like at the very end. Oh, and, uh, what um, was your symptom? I was having a lot of trouble sleeping. I was having restless legs and I kept complaining about that and wasn't getting any, you know, any help with that. And then, um, then heart palpitations that were I mean, I, there's no way I could have slept through them. It was crazy. Okay. Um, so finally, the midwife ordered um, my TSH levels to be checked and then um, some an iron pill. And I did have... Um, an EKG? Hypothi- <laughs> no. You didn't? Oh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> um, oh, I could but- sweat this out right now. When you say heart <laughs> palpitations, y'all get an EKG just to be <laughs> sure. she mentioned it um but we went ahead and just did the other things first um for my request I didn't want to do anything um too drastic and um it turned out I did have um mild I guess I can't remember the term hypothyroidism so I started taking um levothyroxine Mm -hmm. and Synthroid is the brand name um and an iron pill and it fixed everything um, were you anemic then also? Ever so slightly. Okay. Um, and, um, she did say that the practice policy was to induce at 41 and one mm-hmm. with, um, something like hypothyroidism, which I, that scared the crap out of me. So, um, I, I had already been doing stuff like, um, dates, uh, red raspberry tea, and then, um, in 
I think I was ingesting and inserting um, evening primrose oil. Um, but then on his due date, uh, and I did worry that this had taken it too far, but, um, and maybe you can um, speak to this, um, but my, the midwife who delivered said that this could not have caused what eventually ended up happening. Um, I did use clary sage oil. Yeah, um, no. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so I, I, I believe I put them on my stomach the, the after, like early afternoon on his due date. Um, and then later that evening, I think I put some in a bath. Um, clary but... sage is, um, one of the safest essential oils. I mean, it's beautiful for when, for, it's just a very feminine oil and mm -hmm. it's very beautiful for labor, for soothing. Um, when you're in your cycle, it's really great for full moons. It's really great for menopause. Um, a hundred percent of my clients have had um, clear, doused in clary sage okay. like, their whole pregnancies and their labor and delivers. And I think one of the things I mentioned in the intro, Sarah, was that we were covering cord prolapse, which we're getting to. And, um, you know, I've attended 1500 births to date and never, never witnessed cord prolapse of any kind. And there is no evidence or data to suggest that Clary Sage has anything okay. <laughs> to do, has anything to do. wash that guilt away. Neither do dates, neither does red raspberry leaf tea. Those other things can help ripen the cervix, okay? Umbilical cords are long, often. They're squishy. Mm -hmm. The babies are playing with them, right? Like your amniotic fluid is pulling in front of the head, Um we're, you guys, we're getting to, to Sarah's story where we're going to talk about uh, cephalic vertex presentation prolapse, which is like also very rare, more more likely with transverse, a sideways position. Of course, the cord could fall down because there's nothing mm -hmm. blocking the cervical opening. Typically, the head or the butt, if your breech presentation, is going to be blocking that cervical opening. So no, Sarah, you had, there is, you did nothing Okay, you could be like, you could be like, I did handstands every day because I'm a yogi, where you're upside down. You know what I mean? And then it's still you're like, you are not responsible for that. It's just it is. It's it is what happened. It, you didn't clear. Definitely, Clary Sage did not do. That. Okay, yeah, I did feel some guilt. Um, so thank you for absolving yes. me of that. Um, um, uh, I hope you hear me laughing. I'm like, it's that's it's so not probable. It's laughable. I'm like, no, okay, good. it's like no way. So, um, so can yeah. Sorry, I wanted to make sure I made you feel better there. But can Thank continue you. on, continue on for us. Okay, so um, so on his due date, um, we you know there were actually no signs in that morning. I had been having Braxton Hicks, I think, for maybe a week or two. Um. Mostly anytime I got up or sat down, anytime I changed positions. How would you describe um, a Braxton Hicks? How did it feel? It just felt like my entire stomach got tense um, and then then it lessened. So it was just sort of... Pain associated with that or just no, tightness? I, no, no pain. Um, just tension. Yeah. So the main difference between Braxton Hicks and prodromal labor is Braxton Hicks tends to be like this tightening where the uterus mm -hmm. is like warming up. 
prodromal labor is where it feels like actual contractions with tightening and pain, but then it kind of fizzles out after three or four hours. So you were just having the Braxton Hicks, the warm up contractions where the uterus practices tightening to get stronger. Okay. Yeah. So that, that had been happening and then, um, no sign of anything the morning of his due date. And then, um, we decided to go to Costco to stock up on food, knowing he was probably coming soon. Um, and we were on the, in the car on the way there. And I think it was about two forty-five when I, when I first noticed, um, feeling a contraction that was not a Braxton Hicks. Um, I don't know if I had maybe just not noticed earlier. Um, but it was, it was totally different. It was lower down, um, more like a period cramp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was, you know, kind of like a surge and intense, but not, not, painful yet. Um, and then it would, then it would stop. Um, so we were, we got to Costco and we were walking around, um, and I was having them about every 13 minutes. I started just like loosely looking at the time and we actually, um, bumped into, um, my fiance's dad at the Costco and, um, he was, he just laughed like, you know, your baby's due today. What are you doing? And then he was like, you know, but nobody has their baby on their due date. So you're okay. And I, you know, I didn't say I was having contractions, um, but, but they, but they were, were coming. Yeah. Actually walking, um, helps progress labor. And so just walk, being upright and walking around Costco can help things. Yeah. 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 Um, and I felt really good. Um, I was, I don't know. I was just happy. Um, and excited. Yeah. I, um, have a lot of clients that are get to that phase and then they're like, please don't stop. (laughs) You know, like they're like, Oh, I think we're here. And then they just don't want it to stop. So tell me about the rest of the afternoon and evening. Did it can just keep getting stronger? Yes. Um, we, um, we went to my um, fiance's house. Um, we we have two different houses. We're living at mine, um, and but we went over to his house to check on um, and water some plants. And um, so I remember sitting in the sun and like pulling up my um, shirt so the baby could get some sunshine. And um, I remember going upstairs and taking you know the last picture of of myself pregnant. Um, and uh, then we got in the car. Um, I think I started timing them around like five in the evening. Um, and um, later we were, I think I was like, you know, finally getting around to like um, putting like peaches and pears or something away from, from our trip to the store. And um, I felt a gush of liquid. And, and, um, I really, I went, I realized it was my, um, I think my mucus plug and a bloody show is what was happening is what it looked like. Um, but not your water. No, because it stopped. I did what they had said in the childbirth class and put a um, liner in and, um, nothing happened after that for a while. Um, So this is so important, Sarah. So it was a gush of vaginal fluid, which pulls around the cervix. And then as the cervix softens, meaning it thins from four centimeters and it starts thinning to paper thin, it starts to open and that mucus that's in there starts to release and the capillaries on the cervix uh, are vascular. And when they 
thin and open, they bleed. And that's what creates bloody show. If it was your amniotic fluid, it will keep leaking out of you and gushing out of you. It'll leak down to your knee, your ankle, your feet. Sometimes it's very obvious, like a waterfall, and sometimes it's just a very trickle down mm-hmm. your legs. So it sounds like you just had a gush of your vaginal fluid and bloody show, which is a really good sign of labor progression. Yeah, I remember we um, we came out to the sun porch um, where I am now, and we sat down, and uh, and you know it's dark, and and he was like this is happening. And I was like, I, I think so. But, you know, I also knew it could still take potentially, you know, a day or two. Um, yeah. yeah. And he told me, I love you so much. And, um, and then I, I remember thinking, I, I wonder if we'll get to sleep here tonight. Um, so uh, we, we ate some dinner, watched a show. It did things sort of slowed down while that was happening. And, um, I think I was, you know, distracted and, um, and then I, I want to say they, the contractions kind of picked back up again. So, um, I remember the childbirth, um, educator saying, or even, and the midwives, you know, do something, go take a bath or something. And, um, if, uh, they go away, um, it's just, I guess the prodromal labor, mm-hmm. Um, and I did, or it was actually really funny. Isaac, uh, I said, I wanted to take a bath and he goes and he gets these like scrub brushes that he puts on the end of drills when he like, he's not a big cleaner, but like every now and then he'll like really clean. So he like, the, the tub was just glistening and, um, uh, like, uh, so it was perfectly clean, um, uh, lit some candles and uh, was in there and had some, you know, just some time with the baby um, and uh, was timing the contractions. They came back and the app that I was using did say it was time to go to the hospital. Oh, um, you well, guys, well. <laughs> apps friggin' kill me. Oh my God. But I, ah. I didn't trust it. <laughs> the FDA requires that once you hit around five minutes apart for 60 seconds, that it tells you that. It doesn't know anything about you. It doesn't know if your water's broken. It doesn't know if you're GBS positive. It doesn't know anything. So uh, do not go to the hospital based on a contraction app. Go to the hospital based on the advice of the people around you that are supporting you and know your medical history and your personal wishes for your birth and your preferences. Yeah. yeah, I so I didn't listen to it yeah. and I, I did not want to go to the hospital <laughs> um, until I absolutely had to. But that tells um, me you were around five minutes apart. I think, yeah, I think that's, I can't remember. I took a picture of it and I should have looked at it. Um, um, but they weren't, I don't know, I don't remember them being like incredibly painful, um, especially while I was in the bath. Um, but then I, um, got out of the bath, got ready to go to bed and, um, I did put a puppy pad down on the bed just in case. And uh, sure enough, I think it was around 1140. Um, my, I, it w- was my water for sure that broke. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Is it <laughs> funny? We're such mammals. We're like, okay, I'll go to bed now. <laughs> ha ha. ha. <laughs> no, you'll go into labor now is what your body yeah. said. 
Um, so right around midnight, I called the, um, the call service for the midwives and, um, I got the midwife on call, which was, um, it happened to be the only midwife I had not met in the practice. Um, of course. I was due to, yes, <laughs> I was due to meet her, um, the following Tuesday and this was, um, Saturday or, um, at midnight. So Sunday, um, and she said, I told her I was GBS positive, but she said, um, it's probably a high leak. It's your first child. It's going to be a long labor. Continue to labor at home. Um, I love her. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't, I, that was great. That is exactly what I wanted to hear. I don't, I'm afraid of hospitals. So I did not want to be there if I didn't have to be there. You're amazing. And this midwife's amazing. Sarah, just this morning on my labor line, I get a text message from a client that says, ugh, GBS positive. So I guess I have to go to the hospital as soon as my water breaks. And I'm like, who gave you that information? Listen, I'm not going to go into medical advice right now because I'm not a doctor, but... <laughs> Number one, you can decline antibiotics. Number two, you can wait to go to the hospital if that is what you and your medical provider have decided. Um, three, if you call uh, a nurse triage line and you get like a person at a call center in Texas, they are legally obligated to tell you to go mm. to triage. So don't go that route. Make sure you get a hold of your medical provider, maybe by sending a portal message or Sarah, you had direct access. Mm -hmm. Um but listen, do your research, y'all. Get on evidence-based birth. Read some articles on GBS. Chill out. Okay? You're going to be in labor a long time if it's your first birth. So if we want to avoid an induction of labor, some maybe that's your goal is to go have an induction of labor. But in Sarah's case, just stay home. Was it easy for you to stay home? Is that what you were aligned with? Did you want to stay also? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, if I'm honest, I wanted to have the baby by myself at home. And I it, weirdly, I had had like uh, recurring dreams of having him of just like having him. He would just like would fall out of me and I felt nothing. And I, then I couldn't find him. Um, not sure what any of that meant. But um, I, I was like in my heart of heart, I wanted to have him by myself um, at my house. Um, Very normal feeling. <laughs> Uh, but then I woke up, I was able to sleep in between the contractions. I was, um, I was, I would wake up with them, but then I think I was very tired. So, um, I could sleep in between them for the most part. Um, around two though, I got up and, um, I had had a fresh puppy pad and everything. And, um, I checked it and I remember turning on the light on my phone and I was like, Ooh, that's, that's green. So I knew it was um, meconium and um, I remember my aunt saying something about um, her daughter um, ingesting meconium and um, it being a bad sign. So I was like, I, I, I think we need to go um, yeah. to the hospital. Um, let me tell the audience a little bit about meconium. It comes in all different colors. So l l sometimes they poop a little bit and it's light meconium, like a yellow, light yellow. Then there's um, more of like what we would call could, could potentially be more of like a distress poop, which is a lot of poop, which is a darker, thicker, tarrier green. 
Uh, what color was yours? It, uh, it was not yellow. It was green for sure. There were some thicker parts, but um, it wasn't tarry. Okay, not tarry. So that's good. The birth center here wears T-shirts that say meconium happens. Mm-hmm. Meconium is very normal at full term and after, but it also could be a sign of fetal distress. The midwife um, did say it was, you know, just like you're saying, it was not always a, you know, bad sign. Um, but I, I think, um, I think it was good for us to have gone into the hospital when we did. It did take us forever to get out of the house. <laughs> Why? What was Isaac doing? (laughs) (laughs) We had we had four dogs um, and they needed to go Two needed to stay Two needed to go to his parents. And um, I don't even know. It just seemed to take forever. Um, And, you know, we had a a, about a 30 minute drive to the hospital. Um, So we, you know, we're in the car. Um, That was tough having contractions in the car. (laughs) Um, we dropped the dogs at his, two of the dogs at his parents' house and, um, oh, and I should say the weather had turned. Um, so it was, this was August, uh, 14th and, um, all of a sudden it was, it was cold. Um, hurricane season. A wind brewing. Yeah. I'm like last year, last August, hurricane season had just started. Yeah. it, 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 the weather was totally different in the night. And, um, I remember having to wear in you know, like long leggings and a cover up uh, on top, you know, a t-shirt and then a cover up. And, um, we got to the hospital, we went into the, um, ER the way they, the childbirth educator told us to, to go. And they were like, Nope, wrong spot. <laughs> Get back in the car, drive around to the other entrance. And, um, and it was like a ghost town. Uh, it was very weird. All their systems were down um, for maintenance because um, it was, you know, early, early Sunday morning. And yeah. um, we were admitted. I was a little after four, after um, the nurse uh, checked the fluid and, and realized it was amniotic fluid. Um, and so I uh, got into a labor and delivery room and then um, I was. Yeah, I don't, it was, when did I your, just couldn't believe it. Yeah, that you, it was happening. But when did your midwife come to see you? Um, I think it was about 4.30 okay. in the morning. And is that when she performed a vaginal exam? Yes. Um, so let's see. I remember I changed into a gown, um, tried to get comfortable. Um, you know, Isaac tried to get comfortable Midwife came in. Um, it was the midwife I had not met yet. Um, and, uh, um, you know, said, I'm going to give you a, a cervical exam. And I, I had no idea how I was going to respond to it, but I did not tolerate it. And, um, basically was like climbing the back of the bed and just, extremely tense. I, I realized I had started to, I, I guess, disassociate um, and cry uncontrollably, which it was, it was just so strange and so um, unexpected. And I, I think at some point I realized like, oh my God, I'm 
like I'm having a trauma response. And um, sure enough, she, after she had performed the exam, she quietly asked me if I had a history of sexual abuse. And um, I said that, you know, yes, I had some sexual trauma in the past. And um, I I think I really, really wish that I had had a, um, a vaginal exam before I was in labor, um, just so I could have gotten that out of the way, because I think it put me in a different headspace. I, I was just so, so tense and so um, uncomfortable after it and, and not even, I'm almost not there. Um, like I, everything I, you know, I had wanted to stay grounded and um, be present and I just was sort of out of control. So that was very, very hard for me. Um, may I ask, had, how do I put this? Cause I sort of know the answer, but like, if you could go back in time, would you have created a trauma informed birth team by allowing your midwife to have known that in advance about your history? Yeah, I guess I wish I, I didn't, I didn't know that that existed. I, I do wish that it were, it was commonplace to ask, like, have you ever experienced, um, any kind of sexual violence because it's invasive and, um, I guess it makes sense that it's so triggering. Um, I just, I did not anticipate it. Yeah. It, um, it is on my intake form Mm. and I ask my clients to take their forms alone. First of all, Mm -hmm. because not all partners are aware of some of the things, but like, but I need to be aware as your doula, your midwife or OB, if you trust them could be aware um, having conversations like this gives an opportunity to let people know, um, what they could do in advance of labor. Um, often sexual assault and trauma comes forward if it's unresolved, right? Cause our, mm-hmm. our, every cell of our body has memory mm-hmm. and, um, so even if you, it was a long time ago, you guys, and you've done um, counseling, therapy, whatever it is, I do highly recommend that everyone have some extra counseling sessions. I don't think it's necessary, Sarah, to have a vaginal exam in advance. Okay. I think um, everyone's different. Like, I don't think you have to repeat a behavior that's unsafe, right? Mm-hmm in order I would even say you could avoid vaginal exams altogether as a yeah as a that, that would have been <laughs> as a survivor Ideal. um because when we get into your prolapse there are ways to identify prolapse without a vaginal exam right fetal heart tones mm-hmm. specifically um and have medically necessary vaginal exams um But creating a trauma-informed birth team can help you feel safe and having, if there is a a medically necessary vaginal exam at any point, having a strategy for that. Am I closing my eyes? Am I making eye contact with someone? Do I have a sensory item? Is there a smell? How is the provider walking me through? Okay, you're going to feel the back of my hand. 
Do I have your permission? You're going to feel cold gel. Do I have your permission? I'm going to open your labias. Do I have your permission? And just kind of going very slow in the language. It should be like that for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's one opportunity to, to have that. So, I'm, And I, I will say, I'm um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was um, just going to say I'm sorry. I was just like, I'm uh, really sorry <laughs> That um, I'm really sorry for what happened to you. And then I'm sorry that it came forward in your birth, which should be a magical time. But for survivors of sexual assault, so much is taken away. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, and then you're going to take this away from me too? Yeah. And I thought it was resolved. You know, I really thought I had done a lot of the work, um, but no, I have so much more to do. So, um, and I just feel like it's so common. So like you said, it, it should be dealt with more delicately um, for everyone. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, so that was awful. (laughs) And um, they started to talk to me about an epidural because I was so incredibly tense after that. and um, But I have a question. Were... But at that point, they did not feel the cord. They only felt the No, head. no. And I'm sorry. Um, it, she had said I was one centimeter okay. and um, 100% effaced. Okay. So at that it, point, the, the, the cervix wasn't really even open the width of an umbilical cord. Okay. So no. since I know that one of the key topics of this episode is prolapse. I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss that part of the story. No, (laughs) it's coming. Uh, Um, uh, And I, I found, I just reviewed my notes this morning um, and he was at a negative three station. Negative three. So very high, not engaged. Okay. Mm -hmm. Negative three means there's a lot of space and compared to the ischial spine. So there's a lot of space for amniotic fluid, a cord, different, you know, different things. Um, as an example, if you have a cephalic vertex baby um, in your negative three station, they wouldn't artificially rupture your water because it could cause a cord prolapse because the head is still too high to, okay. to cover the cervical OS. Okay. okay. Um, well, that's something I had actually wanted to ask you about. So I'm kind of jumping out of order. It's all right. We can go in all the orders, whatever you need, Sarah. (laughs) Um, It's in my paperwork. It says um, it was cord prolapse due to um, PROM. So premature rupture of the membranes, but I was having like contractions and the, um, the water ruptured with a contraction. So is that premature rupture? No. No. Okay. I don't think so. So, Prom, the definition of prom is that's your first sign of labor. Okay. Okay. You had what we call SROM, spontaneous rupture of membranes during labor contraction. So that's mischarted. So, okay. Um, now they may have called you prom because you were one centimeter dilated mm-hmm. and you weren't in active labor. But you okay. were in labor, you were having contractions, you had been having contractions at that point for 
nearly 12 hours before mm-hmm. your water ruptured. So that's really technically SROM, spontaneous rupture of membranes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, so I guess back to um, the labor. Uh, after the exam, uh, they were the nurse and the midwife were suggesting an epidural because he was starting to, um, his heart rate was decelerating a a little bit with contractions. And they, you know, they said, you're very tense. You're not breathing through them. Um, they coached me on breathing through them. I mean, I, I, I have everything I had learned, I think went out the window after that. Uh, I think that could have happened anyway, but, um, I think it really put me into a very odd headspace after that exam. And, um, well, you said you dissociated, which means mm -hmm. your body and your brain, separated. Mm -hmm. They weren't working together. They weren't working synergistically and in unison together. Um, I think it's very normal that then um, that your body, your body was having a trauma response and your brain was trying to labor. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I initially declined, you know, I really didn't want to do it. I wanted to try to get back on track. Um, the, the coaching with the breathing did help a little bit. Um, and then I don't remember at what point this was. Um, but the nurse came back in, um, Isaac actually knew her, (laughs) um, had been on a date with her a long, long time ago. So it was kind of funny. Awkward. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, um, she said something to me. I don't really remember what it was, but, um, I, I just, I didn't want to hurt the baby. Um, and so I, um, was, you know, said, okay, let's try this. Let's get the epidural. Um, it, for me, it was painless. Um, and I was, it, immediately able to relax and sleep. Um, they kept the heart, heart rate monitor on for me. They asked if I wanted to hear it and I said, yes. Um, I found it really, really soothing. Um, I slept. Um, and then I remember feel embodied after the epidural, like you dissociated Mm-hmm. But when the epidural came in and relaxed your body, do you feel like you were able to re-embody, reintegrate? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I think so. I don't know how present I was. You know, I I do think I was so overwhelmed um, and tired. I'm not sure I was as present as I wanted to be, but I did feel safer. Um, which I think was good. Good. And that's what people need to hear, right? Like Mm. birth preferences are flexible Mm -hmm. and epidurals are sometimes tools to keep us emotionally safe, sometimes physically safe, sometimes just to elevate and have a better experience. So there, no one should ever, this podcast, especially we, there's, there's like unmedicated birth versus medicated birth. Like it's birth. Mm-hmm. You do whatever you need to make your body with full body autonomy feel safe. Yeah. I, I, I think it was a good call. I'm grateful that whatever she said, <laughs> 
hit. Um, She's a very intuitive midwife that her reaction tipped her off. Your reaction tipped her off to understanding your history. Yeah, we thought so too. Um, I was not able to labor in water though. Um, they wouldn't let me do that. They wanted to keep the monitor on him the whole time, which was disappointing to me. Um, but also I'd had the epidural, so I couldn't, um, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Uh, you had a lot of things going on though. GBS mm -hmm. ruptured meconium and then, and the arguably the need for continuous, I'm, Listen, I got to be careful with my words here because every birth is different. In this case, the need for continuous fetal monitoring um, because there was already an irregularity Mm -hmm. in fetal heart tones. And then, of course, yes, you cannot get in the water. Just in case anybody doesn't know that, you can't get out of the bed and get into the bathtub with an epidural. Uh, so I, I fell asleep and then, um, I did wake to the, the machine going quiet. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't know to be alarmed at that point. Um, two nurses came in, they rotated me, um, to my, on my left side. Um, and it looks like I didn't know this, but I think, um, my blood pressure was low and they may have given me, um, was it epinephrine? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, it, and that's I didn't very that. normal. Very okay. normal with an epidural. So okay. they give you fluids, lots of IV fluids to vasodilate because there's a vasodilation, vasoconstriction thing that happens with the epidural and it drops okay. your blood pressure. And so it's very normal for people's blood pressure to drop. Um, you are only given epinephrine if it drops too low. Like, let's say if you were 80 over 40. Okay. 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 Um, or if you could be 90 over 60, but if you're symptomatic, vomiting, late head, dizziness. So sometimes they treat just on the pressure and sometimes they treat on symptoms and sometimes they treat on both. Okay. Um, and you know, after that he seemed to stabilize, um, I fell back to sleep and then with um, rotating positions is what made mm-hmm. him stabilize. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Isaac was sound asleep, and then um, I woke again to the the monitor going completely quiet, and or I think it was completely quiet, and um, and then I knew to be scared, and it seemed like a long time. Nobody came, nobody came, nobody came, and then all of a sudden the room exploded with people. Um, I'm not sure how many people were in there, but uh, they they were like pulling cords behind me and, um, the midwife came in, um, she started to do an exam. I felt nothing, which was, which was nice. And, um, I knew something must be wrong. Um, I believe Isaac got up. He was very disoriented. And, um, I remember the midwife saying, your baby's cord has prolapsed. We need to go to the OR to have this baby now. And I, I mean, I've never felt fear like that. It was, it just, I knew something was wrong, but I did not know something was that wrong. Had you ever heard of a cord prolapse before? No, I had no idea what it was. Okay. So let me just, for you guys listening, 
It's very rare. You heard me say I've never in my 1,500 birds, I haven't seen it. I haven't been witness to it. There are three types of um, cord prolapses, and they can uh, lead to fetal death. Um, so cord prolapse, the three types are overt. Yeah, and I don't know how to pronounce this word because I'm not a medical person. Funic, funic, funic presentation and occult prolapse. So I just want to define it because I think that you had an overt cord prolapse, which is when the cord comes through the cervix into the vaginal canal after waters are ruptured. And that's what um, your midwife was feeling in that exam. And that's that kind of cord compression is what led to the fetal heart tones going down or, or completely going away. <laughs> Somebody write in and, or send me a DM on how to pronounce this word. Funic, funic presentation is when there's like a loop of the umbilical cord and it li- just like, like imagine like a U shape, like a little loop and it lies between the fetal presenting part and the still intact membranes covering the OS. So that means like your water has not broken. And when they do like a vaginal exam or whatever, you the, the cord would be in front of the head. So instead of feeling a head on a vaginal exam in a bag of water, they're feeling that little loop. Okay. And then occult cord prolapse is when the cord is located alongside the presenting part. Okay. So let's say the cord is like next to the head, but it's not detectable by like the midwife. She wouldn't have been able to feel that. She would have just felt the head. So the fact that she, you were ruptured and she felt the cord tells me it was an overt cord prolapse. Does that feel aligned, Sarah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And um, so they race you to the OR? Like what happens? I actually... I have hyperventilated. Um, I've never done that before, but I could not breathe. Um, and was, I think I was crying. Um, Isaac was, you know, like not really understanding what was going on, trying to console me. I barely could see anything. And, um, somebody gave me a oxygen mask and yeah, they rushed me. And I remember thinking like, I, Isaac was left in the room. I mean, we just left him and they were flying down the hallway and, I was like, how on earth is she going so fast backwards, the midwife, because I could see her at the foot of the bed. And I thought she was running backwards with the with the bed. Um, But she was and I did not know this. um, She was on the bed with her hand inside me holding his head up and out of the way. Yeah. Um, What an she's an amazing midwife. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It, it was, it's incredible because it took us, um, we flew down the hall, got into the OR, um, from the notes, it took us, um, nine minutes to get me prepped. Um, I think they had to turn up the epidural. Um, they could, well, they, first of all, they couldn't find the anesthesiologist. They found somebody different. He can't, he was an anesthesiologist, but he wasn't the person who, um, set my epidural, um, he was, I was, I was so scared. Um, he was wonderful. And, um, uh, um, they Sarah, were, it was you, just so panicky. You are currently having a trauma response. I'm watching you. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm trying not to cry. No cry. Um, it's okay. I was like, girl, you can make me cry. I'm just like <laughs> watching you on this zoom call 
And so like, um, as we finish telling the story, you tell what feels safe because you're having a major trauma response. And so like now I'm crying. I don't want you to, to I don't want to push you into something that doesn't feel safe. So you can tell Thank you. what you can tell me what you need to tell me, or you can say, and then I had a C-section. Okay. Yeah, no, um, thank you. And I also, I'm going to send you the information for someone that um, processes birth trauma and works oh. virtually because they think oh. you need to talk about it some more. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, they, it was so chaotic in there. Um, and it was, you know, 440 something in the morning or sorry, no, uh, not at all. It was like 840 um, something in the morning. And um they were, you know, like rushing around. And I remember someone saying, um, there's no betadine or, you know, that stuff they put on you. And I remember the midwife saying, it doesn't matter. This baby needs to come out now. And she was yelling it. And, um, the, the doctor introduced himself. He was very calm, which made me feel a little bit better. Um, and, you know, they, they got me onto the, the weird table where your arms are out. Someone tried to put a hairnet on me and it didn't work. They just gave up. Um, right. It, yeah. And, and I remember I was like, am I going to feel this? Uh, um, I'd never had any kind of, I, I'd never had surgery where I had to go under anesthesia or anything. And um, he said, no, I'm going to make sure, you know, you don't. Um, and I'm going to, we're going to test it first. So I guess they turned up the um, epidural and they did a test cut and I felt pressure, but I didn't feel any pain. Um, and luckily, Isaac and never came. They never were able to. No, they in. couldn't. And he, um, poor thing, he was in there. I mean, he said it was like, chaos in there and then all of a sudden the room was empty and he was all alone and did not know what was happening and he, he made some he made two phone calls I well maybe three I think he called my sister my mom and his parents and we're like and he said I don't know what's happening you guys need to get here um and uh and Isaac needs to go to therapy too yeah 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 we had a hard time and very hard time together in the beginning um, after this, um, from, from the notes, I can see that the, I think the incision was made at, um, I think we were in, I can look it up. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time remembering. Um, we were in the operating room at 843. The incision was made at 852 and, um, he came out at 854. Okay. So it was fast. Yeah. Um, so uh, he's and he, here. We know he's here because Isaac's watching him in the other room. Um, um, but is he I, okay? Um, yes. So, well, Isaac was, Isaac still left, um, but the baby comes out, he comes out screaming. And then instantly the energy in the room changed. They said, that's exactly what they wanted to hear. They said he was dramatic. <laughs> um uh, and then they, then Isaac comes in, um, he, poor th like he was like, my insides were everywhere. Um, they didn't, I, I don't think he was warned of that. Um, he had to walk past that to where the baby was. Um, he, they, he said that he had no idea what to do. He did not, he knew the baby, he could see the baby was safe. He did not know if I was safe. Um, he said he just, he didn't know what to do. He felt like he was expected to be the proud papa. Um, so he was, you know, he took some pictures, um, 
the the baby had blue hands and blue feet, but um, his APGAR scores were actually very good. Okay. And um, and the know, blue hands weighed... and the blue feet are totally normal. Like for the okay. hands to be completely blue and completely purple in a baby that's that's born vaginally with no complications at all, it's because when they're learning to like suck, swallow, breathe for the first minute, the body is so smart, it prioritizes brain, oh. heart, lungs. So all okay. of that blood flow is going to the central part. There is a term for it, and I'm sorry, you guys, I'm not a doctor, I don't know what the name of it is. You labor and delivery nurses just send me a message. But I do know that purple hands and feet are normal at, upon for like the first 24 hours or so. Just look at the chest, the lips, the, the core. And if that's okay. pink, everything's good. Okay. Um, and amazingly, luckily, thanks to that midwife, I mean, she she held him up from whenever he was diagnosed to 8.54 in the morning when he was taken out. Um, and I can't imagine how strenuous, like it, what an awkward position for her hand and body to be in. And she never, never stopped. Um, because and, she's someone who saves lives. Yeah. And, and that's what she did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without hesitation at all. Um, so he's screaming, Isaac took a few pictures, um, they weighed him in, I believe at, um, it was eight pounds, two ounces, 20 inches, um, and screaming, screaming, screaming. And they finally brought him to me and he stopped screaming completely. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, and our cheeks touched and. Um, I think, you know, I, I vaguely remember saying my baby and I just was so relieved that he was okay. Um, so relieved. And then they handed him to Isaac and, um, he see, you know, he seemed to, to be calmer with Isaac as well, seemed to know him. And, um, I guess they were stitching me back up. And then, um, then I started to get scared because, I couldn't use my hands or my arms at all. And, they were strapped um, down. What they was were that? strapped down. No, they didn't strap me down, but um, I couldn't move them. I guess the epidural traveled or went a little high. And um, and then I started to not be able to talk or feel like I could swallow. Um, uh-huh. So that was scary. The um, the the lovely like angel anesthesiologist who who helped me as soon as I got into the OR was gone and then it was the the person like he just disappeared I don't even know if I imagined him but um then uh the person who uh, placed the epidural was back and he was really dismissive about it and he was like you're fine you're gonna be fine but I I was you know I I didn't know if I was ever gonna be use, be able to use my hands again um just not I just didn't know um so that was scary. Um, eventually they um, are wheeling us out of there to go back to the labor room. And, you know, they were trying to get me to hold him and, and I couldn't, I could not hold him. Because you weren't um, too numb. And epidural works with gravity. So they should have been sitting you straight up at some point so that the epidural could fall out of your lungs, out of your throat, out of your arms. You know, did they ever get yeah. you sitting up so you could? I don't 
think so, but I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, we did, we got back to the labor labor room, and it, it, I remember being all alone in there. Um, I don't know where Isaac was. Um, a nurse was in there, and um, but like, I'm so grateful to her because she put the baby on my chest and I think I was still pretty reclined. Um, she helped him latch and she took my phone and took a picture. Um, and she said, you're going to want this. Um, and that was, I think it was like 10, 13. So, you know, a little over an hour after he was born, um, was this first latch. (laughs) Um, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Um, Don't you dare apologize. I'm bo- y'all, y'all, if you could see a picture of Sarah and I, I am, I am like red face, boring tears out of my, my body. Like I knew this episode was going to be like super emotional and um, I just have so much empathy for you. your story. And I'm so grateful to you because this is just how the world works. Like tomorrow my client's going to have a cord prolapse and I'm going to be there and I'm going to know how to take care of her because you just taught me. Thank you. I I mean, I I really wanted to share it with you because I knew you were going to be empathetic and I want, you know, it, it it happens. And, um, after his birth, um, once, things settled, I, I started searching for information and there just wasn't a lot. Um, I felt, I knew I wasn't alone and I, and I found a few things, but, um, I just, you know, want to, if it happens to somebody else, they, they feel like they're not alone. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I just had to like Google it with you. (laughs) Yeah. Types of ones like that's how, that's how little information there is. I've been doing this 20 years and you're the first person to educate me really on cord prolapse. Um, and I, what we didn't get into is all this scary stuff and I don't want to get into that <laughs> either. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll put some stuff in the show notes of the different types and people can do their research. But what I do know, Sarah, is that, um, the vertex cephalic head down presentation prolapse is that's like the rarest kind. It's usually from my research seen more with a transverse lie when the baby's sideways. And so the cervical is wide open for, you know, nothing's blocking it mm-hmm. or footling breach. Um, so what I learned today um that is awakening me to some of the necessities of some medical interventions is, um, you know, maybe seeing more positives in vaginal exams or fetal monitoring. Mm -hmm. If your birth preferences had said no fetal monitoring or your mm-hmm. birth preferences had said no vaginal exams, which we talked about with your history. Those are two tools that were used to help make this um, a, a story where your your baby was on your chest at 10, mm-hmm. 13 breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for sharing today. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want the audience to hear about Teddy? Yes. Um, well, we initially, I'll try to keep it quick, but initially we, I, I felt very grateful and I felt like, you know, almost elated. Like I had the best birth team. What an amazing, you know, it was a hard experience, but I'm, everything happened as it should. Um, and I was kind of like on a high and then the midwife knew and she said, we need to consider medication. You know, I had a history of um, anxiety and depression. She said, you know, you, you've experienced birth trauma. Um, this is going to put you at high risk for postpartum depression. Um, let's be proactive with this. So she, you know, she knew and we did. Um, I pretty shortly thereafter went on 10 milligrams of Celexa. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was needed. She did do a debrief with me of the birth because I was having a hard time understanding it. And then the, I think the full weight of everything did sit, it kind of hit me after I'd started, you know, walking around and I could not walk past the OR. I could not do it. It collapsed and, um, realized that, yeah, I was not, I hadn't processed everything. I clearly haven't, you know, I still haven't processed everything a year out. Um, Listen, so, grief takes time. You don't rush grief. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, ultimately we're very lucky, but um, it, it's been, it's been hard. I've definitely experienced some postpartum and. Um, were you able to breastfeed? Yes. And he's a champ. He's still breastfeeding. So, uh, so that's okay. good. <laughs> Sometimes um, we just need to focus on what wasn't taken away from us. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. that helps us too. The research shows that the more you tell your story, the more that you talk, the more that you process. Like there's all different things. You can do EMDR. You can do IFC. There's all different types. But the common theme is continuing to tell your story to get it out of your body. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you know the book, The Body Keeps the Score? Yes, I have not read it, but so read I should. It. Yeah. Okay. So the, the takeaway for you and for our audience is um, I would like you, everyone to know about the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I would like everyone to know about Michelle Smith with Birth Ease Services. I think it's birthyservices.com. She's out of Orlando, Florida. She's been on the podcast. She really specializes in processing birth trauma as a hypnotherapist. Okay. Healing is possible and that growth is possible. Expansion is possible. Having another baby is possible. Um, if that's what you or someone else wants, like... But we don't ever apologize for our feelings. We don't hide them and tuck them away. Celexa is an antidepressant that is safe for breastfeeding and can really help be a Band-Aid mm -hmm. while we recover. And, um, you know, I do believe, Sarah, that there is an opportunity for you to keep healing and the fact that you reached out and you wanted to tell your story on the podcast like step one maybe you know yeah and um 
just keep going. Hold and and hold Teddy and have your tools and um I don't know if I have anything else to say other than I'm really grateful for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me share. And then um I I definitely think this has been helpful and I hope it helps um not scare. I don't want to scare anybody, but I hope it somehow helps somebody else. We're so grateful to the midwife. Um it took us three days to name him, but um his middle name is her last name. So uh, she'll, she's, I mean, we're so grateful. So Amazing. <laughs> and now I lose my bananas again. <laughs> so Sarah, thank you for being on the thank birth you. story podcast. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you for listening to birth story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 